Well, a few months ago, during a session with my counselor, it's a good opening, huh? (laughs) A few months ago, during a session with my counselor, I was stuck on a feeling and a phrase. And the feeling was shame. Anyone ever felt shame before? And the phrase was this. I should have this figured out by now. And I'll spare you the full story and the specifics, but I couldn't shake that phrase. Like, I should have figured this out by now. Which we spent some time and we we worked through, and I began at the end of our time to see maybe more clearly why I was feeling that way. But man, I just had this, (laughs) like, man, I should have this figured out. I think especially in church communities, we feel that. Like, I should have this figured out by now. I'm 45 years old. I should have this figured out. I'm 20 years old. I'm 15 years old. I should have this figured out by now. (laughs) Amen. But there's this sense, like, man, I should be past this. If I had my stuff together... I should have this figured out by now. And so often we have been trained to think that the shape of the spiritual journey is a straight line. Either just a straight line or uh, your way, up and to the right, where you just have this clear progression and all you're doing is taking steps forward and up and, and you just like knock out one thing and you never have to deal with that ever again and then you do the next thing and you never have to deal with that again and then you're like, why am I, why am I doing this again? Why am I facing this again? And I think maybe the better image for the spiritual journey is a spiral. Because there's something about the repetition that God is really active in. The longer I live, the deeper I sink into the storylines of the Bible, the more I have come to appreciate the loops of repetition, that our spiritual journey is that spiral more than the straight line. Open your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Genesis chapter 20. I will have these up on the screen, too, if you don't have one. But this is our 10th week, which is a long time now, our 10th week in the book of Genesis in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 10 weeks, it's a long time. We've been journeying with these people for quite some time, and guess what? Abraham doesn't quite have it all figured out yet. And neither does Sarah, and neither does Hagar. Even coming off of last week in the story we've been looking at in Genesis, and he had this like, really powerful moment of encounter with God, and he steps into this role of intercession on behalf of his enemies. And Abraham has all these profound experiences with God, and yet he finds himself still dealing with some of the old stuff from his past again and again and again. Abraham, Sarah, Hagar still have places in their life that trip them up. And it's easier for us to see from the outside, but we have these repeated common themes. And it's the same kind of stuff that happens in your life, too. Common, repeated themes. Over and over again. 
But here's what I've come to realize. It's, it's, it's as though God is so committed to our wholeness. God is so committed to our healing. He's so committed to our formation into his likeness that he refuses to leave our brokenness alone. And so in these places of repetition, it's as though God's saying, no, I'm not going to leave that part of your life untouched. I want you to come back and walk through that again. And so he pursues us in love, and he refuses to leave any stone unturned. So that in every area of our life, this is his desire for us, that we would find his freedom and healing. Especially in those places of repetition. So we've got to pay attention. Again, it's easier to see it on somebody else's story than our own on the page than in our lives, but we can pay attention and do our work with God. But these themes and patterns will not magically disappear, and God refuses to leave them alone. And that's, that's his gift to us. There's a pastor, Rich Velotis, who says that the sad irony of our day is that we can be deeply committed to being a Christian. I'll put that in quotes. Deeply committed to being a Christian and not be deeply formed by Christ. Meaning, he's, he's contrasting the idea of, quote, being a Christian or like going to Christian places, doing Christian activity, talking Christian language, listening to Christian music, versus actually allowing Jesus to access the deep places of our life and soul. And our formation of being deeply formed by Christ requires attention to the deep wounds and repeated patterns. That's what God's committed to heal. So, Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to let um, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar be our mirrors and our guides today. So we're going to cover a bit of ground, actually two chapters. I'm not going to read all the verses. I trust you can do that to fill in the gaps. But I think you'll see what's going on here quite quickly. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1, it says, From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So, again, we've been in this story now for almost 10 weeks, and so if you're new, you're kind of hopping in midstream here, but here's some background. For those who have read the Abraham story before, this is like what Yogi Berra said, it's deja vu all over again. Abraham is journeying again. Here's a map if you don't know your Middle Eastern geography as well. But he's journeying. Again, here's Jerusalem up here and Bethlehem up here. He's journeying down south into the desert region of the Negev. And over here is Gerar. And as he's journeying toward a new region in between Kadesh and Shur, Abraham finds himself in this familiar situation again. He's in a new land. He encounters a new power structure, a new ruler, a new leader, new people. And all of a sudden, Abraham gets scared. He gets freaked out. He's like, oh no, I'm married to this beautiful woman and they're going to come after her and my life is in danger. I know what I'll do. We'll just play this game that we've played before and I'll say she's my sister. And hopefully they will treat me kindly and leave me alone. 
So that's what happens in the story. The king of Gerar, Abimelech, takes Sarah into the royal palace. And again, it's not explicit in the story, but there's a lot of sexual overtones in that. He's not just inviting her over for dinner. Now, in case, again, you haven't been with us for the entire 10 weeks, like there's a real familiarity to this story because it happened already once in the life of Abraham. This is Genesis chapter 12. Right after God calls Abram, again, he has his name changed, he calls Abram to leave his family, to leave the place that he knows, to go with his family to a new place that God's going to show him because God says, I'm going to bless you and make you a great name and a great nation and through you will bring blessing to all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So right on the heels of that, there's a famine in the land in Genesis chapter 12 and Abram and Sarah head south. Genesis 12, verse 11. The princes of Egypt noticed Sarai's beauty. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake which is exactly what happens. They go into the land and they notice Sarai's beauty and they take her into Pharaoh's house. And again, we mentioned this weeks ago in preaching this part of the story, but there's all sorts of just self-protection going on in Abram. He's lying, self-protective, just disregarding the well-being of this woman that he loves just to save his, he's all he's concerned about is himself. It's me, me, me. I want to make sure that I am well. And he's willing to expose her to harm and risk in the palace rather than being truthful. And it's only because of the protection of God that plagues are sent on Pharaoh's house. And then Pharaoh realizes what's happening And he unleashes a bunch of angry questions at Abram. Why have you done this to me? And Abram and Sarai get sent away. So now, again, that's in the past. So now, time has elapsed. And so many things have happened. Again, God encounters and promises and covenant ceremonies and renewals and intercessions and all these God encounters since then. God has renamed Abraham, but now we're in Genesis chapter 20, and it's a different story, but it's the same storyline. It's like that button in Abraham's Abraham's heart gets pushed, and he's like, and fear, anxiety, self-protection, what am I going to do? And he falls back into this old strategy, lying and twisting the truth in self-protection. So here we go. She's my sister. And now God has to intervene. And God does intervene. And I won't read the whole passage, but God is very strong in his intervention. This is Genesis 20, verse 3. It says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken. That'll scare you. Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, 
So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Man, God does not mince words. You're a dead man. Let her go. I kept you from touching her. Now let let them go. God is very strong in his intervention. And then I won't read this part, verses 9 and 10. Much like Pharaoh does, Abimelech comes to Abraham and is like, what are you doing, man? Like, wh- what are you doing? Why have you done this? Look at this you brought upon our house. What are you doing to us? You're like, what was Abraham thinking? Some would say, he wasn't thinking. No, he was thinking. He tells us what he was thinking. Look at verse 11. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she indeed is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place at which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. (laughs) You don't like this, do you, Parfait? Here's here's his thought process. He's just blaming everybody else, isn't he? Everyone's to blame. Like these people that I'm around, they don't fear God like I do. Uh Uh-huh. They don't fear God, so I couldn't trust them. He rationalizes. And it's, it's like, it's not really true, but it's not like fully not true because she's not... Right? He, he, he does the half-truth spin, mix it a little bit, and like, I, I'm really not lying. I am kind of lying, but it's not, it's not a full lie. And then he blames God. When God caused me to wander from my father, like God, the reason why I'm here and not back in my house is because God's the one who told me to do this. So these people, there's no fear of God there. It's not really that much of a lie. And God's the one who sent, like he's just blaming everyone for his thought process. And you're like, man, Abraham, what's going on inside of you? When push comes to shove, in Egypt with Pharaoh, in Gerar with Abimelech, this is the Abraham dilemma. This is the Abraham pattern. This is Abraham's theme. When I am afraid or unsure, I twist the truth to make things better. Or, if you want to put it in another way, when I'm threatened, I trust myself. And this happens in Abraham's life over and over and over again. When things get really tough and he gets anxious and he's like on the brink in fear and he's trying to figure out what do I do in those moments when I'm afraid, when I'm unsure, I've got to take this in my own hands. I only trust myself. I don't trust God. I don't trust y'all. I don't trust, I don't trust anybody. I just trust myself. I'm just telling you, friends, this is a broken way to live. It happens over and over again. And what does God do? Man, God is so gracious to him. God covers him. God protects him. God keeps his wife from the harm of the 
king. In spite of an incompetent husband who's only selfish and self-protective. But again, it's really easy to throw stones at Abraham. But I'm telling you, my friends, I do this too. When I get afraid, backed up against the wall, one of my first in- instincts is, is how do I, right, how do I scheme? How do I make this happen? How do I make, because I don't trust anyone. I only trust myself. And I'm a lousy person to trust in that way. Okay, throw some stones at Abraham. Let's, let's watch Sarah's pattern. Genesis chapter 21. So we've already talked about Sarah a bit. Sarai, God renames her to Sarah. And one of the themes in her life is around laughter. We've talked about laughter in her story the last couple weeks. That not all laughs are created equal. Here's Genesis 21. So this is right on the heels of this. They get let go from that sticky situation. Chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Again, she's 90. He's promised her a baby for a long time, and she's been barren. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, which means laughter. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abram, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And so we've talked about Sarah and her story and her barrenness and her shame and just the, the longing of her heart and decade after decade after decade of waiting. And when she first hears the news from God, God that she's going to have a baby. Her response is laughter, but it's not the belly laugh laughter of delight. It's the laughter of despair. It's that laughter of pain. It's that laughter of like, my life is not what I thought it'd be. And you come bringing this news. And I just can't, I can't believe it. And I won't belabor this point too long because we covered this a little bit a few weeks ago. But chapter 21, the, the promises come true. Long time coming. Long time waiting. And God delivers and Sarah gives birth. Verse 1, the Lord visits Sarah as he said. Verse 2, she conceives and she bears a son. Verse 3, they name the child Isaac, which means laughter. When she first finds out she's going to be pregnant, she laughs in despair. And now she has laughter again. And by the end of the section, everyone's laughing, right? God's made laughter for me, kind of a play on words. He's made Isaac for me. He's made laughter for me. And out of the depth of my despair, now I have delight filling my home. And Isaac is here. And everyone who hears is going to laugh at the story that Sarah at age 90 is breastfeeding a baby. Like, that's a crazy story that God would fulfill his promise after all those years. She's got this laughter theme running through her story. Bitterness and pain and despair that got flipped into delight and a child in her old age. This is a good story and we wish it would end there. (laughs) 
So, the story goes on. Verse 8. As the, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Ah, the laughter story isn't over, is it? So here we are again. Isaac is born, and Isaac is weaned several years later. To mark this great occasion, to mark the weaning of Isaac, Abraham throws a party. He makes this great feast, verse 8. Man, probably good food, good drink. Have everyone over. We're going to have ourselves a weaning party, like you do. <laughs> and the party's going, the food is going. I'm sure there's dancing and celebrating, laughter. But what happens? All of a sudden, we see these people show back up in the story. Hagar shows back up in the story. Her son. Again, just trying to tie these storylines back into it. Hagar. Back in chapter 16, again, the story. God, God came to Abram and Sarai and said, I'm going to give you a great name, make you a great nation, give you a great family. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then they're waiting. And she's barren. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. Like, what did God say? What did God promise? And how is this going to happen? So finally, in Genesis chapter 16, Sarah, in her barrenness, says, the only way I can configure this, the only way this makes sense is I'm not having a baby, so I'm going to give my maidservant, Hagar, to my husband. He can sleep with her, and therefore we can have a son that way. We can have an heir that way. And so Hagar comes on the scene, and Abram says, okay, let's do this. Abram sleeps with Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant. Hagar has a son named Ishmael. This is Sarah's scheme to somehow make sense of life, to somehow make sense of the promises of God. So Abraham keeps relying on the she is my sister scheme. Sarah looks to Hagar, her maidservant, her Egyptian maidservant, and she gives Hagar to her husband to sleep with him and produce a son. And back in that day, when that first came to light, and Megan preached this so wonderfully a few weeks ago, there's this deep resentment between Sarah and Hagar. And as Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, there's tension, and Sarah deals harshly with her. And she drives her out into the wilderness, and Hagar is left there in the wilderness but she meets and encounters God there. So there's this deep running tension because Abraham still in the waiting wants and thinks maybe Ishmael is going to be the way this whole story comes to fruition. So there's some really deep-seated history and woundedness between Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael. And even Abram's like, oh God, how about Ishmael? Let's use him as my heir. So like all of that is stewing in the crock pot of Genesis 21. 
It's weaning day. Isaac has been born. Laughter is filling the home. Laughter of delight. God's promises have come true. And we're there at the party, and Sarah looks across the room, and she sees who? Yeah. On the day of the feast, Sarah sees, she doesn't even name him. Sarah sees the son of Hagar the Egyptian. She sees Ishmael, the son of that woman in her mind. And what's he doing? He's laughing. He's laughing. Now again, not all laughs are created equal. Was he belly laughing? Was he laughing in despair? In the context, most likely, it's some sort of a laughter of mockery. A laughter of disdain. So it's on Isaac's big celebration day, the son of the slave, the son of the handmaiden, the son that came about through Sarah's scheme is there laughing, and Sarah can't take it anymore. So she tells her husband, hey, kick him out kick out the slave woman, kick out her son, and Abraham kind of feels caught in this pickle between his wife and his son, and he honors her request. Again, the storyline's kind of all over the place, but you begin to see what's happening here. The laughter story continues. Laughter is yet again at the center of Sarah's story, and it's not a good laughter, but it's a laughter in the mouth of this person, this son. And it brings up the pain. And it brings up the memories. And it brings up the brokenness. And it brings up the shame. And it brings up the waiting. And it brings up her barrenness. And it brings up her problems. And it brings about her attempts to somehow make God's promises fit. So we would love for Sarah's story to be at an old age, she had a son, and they all lived happily ever after. But that's not how the story goes. It's weaning day at the barbecue, and she sees the reminder of her failure, and now that person's laughing in mockery. Maybe you could frame, next slide, Sarah's theme this way. When I am insecure... I lash out against others because the laughter of others is still haunting for me. Because she does that the first time and she engages Hagar and Ishmael and she has bitterness towards her. She deals harshly with her, with her and drives her away. And now here in her moment, her day of celebration, that laughter is like mocking her. And so she's like, get out of here. And so she again deals harshly and she kicks out this woman and her son. And so there's this cycle again. You're like, I thought Sarah was this great woman of faith and she is a woman of faith. And yet again, here comes the cycle again. Insecurity. Pushing those buttons. The reminders of the past. The reminders of shame. For Abraham, his fear drives him to lie. For Sarah, her fear drives her to lash out. And she still hasn't learned how to handle that deep pain in her story. 
which brings us one last person in the story I'll be done, brings us to Hagar. I mentioned that back in Genesis 16, <coughs> excuse me, Hagar <clears throat> flees from Sarai and her harsh treatment. And she goes out into the wilderness and she encounters a messenger from God. In that time, when she was driven out the first time, Hagar meets God. She receives promises from God about her son Ishmael. She actually names God. She calls God El Roy, the God who sees. And in her place of deep pain, in her place of getting cast out, she finds a God who sees her, who knows her, a God who provides for her at the well. So that's Genesis 16. Now we're back in Genesis 21. And things go south with Sarah again. Because her son laughs at the wrong time and the wrong occasion. And Sarah's like, that's it. You guys have to go. So we're told in the story that Abraham, Abraham he gathers some bread to give her as she leaves. And he gets together a skin of water and gives it to her as she leaves to go out into the wilderness. I'm telling you, the wilderness of Beersheba is not a place you want to hang out too long by yourself. It's hot, it's dry, it's arid, the heat is intense. It will kill you. And again, we're not given all of the internal dialogue of Hagar, but I bet you can imagine what's running through her mind as this unfolds. Man, here we go again. I'm the object of her wrath, and now I'm out. I'm the reminder of her failure. I'm the odd woman out. No one truly cares about me. I guess I'll just go out into the wilderness and will die. This has happened before. Next slide, verse 15. This is when the water in the skin was gone. Again, the water that Abraham had given her. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes and she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Man, just the pain in her life, the pain in her story. She's like, I'm out of water. I'm in the middle of the Middle Eastern wilderness. And my, um, my son's going to die. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to put him over here under a bush and get away because I don't want to have to go through the pain of watching my son die. So I'll stand far off so I don't have to see with my own eyes. And she's weeping. And she's crying out. I'm an outsider. Here I am. No one cares for me. No one loves me. Why am I here again? I was here before. I'm here again. And in that place of despair, in that wilderness, with no hope and no resources and no logical help to be found because the water is out, she finds God. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. 
And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. And he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now, last time around, Hagar discovered the God who sees. She felt very unseen in the wilderness the first time, and God saw her. This time, she discovers a God who hears, the God who listens to the cry of people. And the angel brings good news that there's promise of a future for this son. And then somehow this well appears in the wilderness. And the boy Ishmael gets a drink and he grows up. And then you kind of fast forward through his life where he lives in the wilderness and he gets a wife and he becomes this expert hunter. Maybe you could frame Hagar's theme this way. When life falls apart and circumstances I can't control keep happening, I'm abandoned and left to despair. You ever felt that theme in your life? Why am I? This just keeps happening. Things keep happening to me that I can't control, and then I end up feeling like I'm abandoned and in despair. How many times can you get kicked out of the house with nothing and expect to live? But just as God protected Abraham through his foolish lying, and he honored Sarah even amidst her laughing insecurity, God also reveals more of his character to Hagar as the one who sees and the one who hears and the one who saves and the one who provides, to the one who feels out of control, to the one who feels kicked aside, to the one who feels like they have nothing left. There is a God who hears you. There is a God who sees you. There is a God who's coming for you. I'm telling you, folks, this is not just a straight line of faith, but it's the cycle of grace. And it makes me curious. It makes me curious. Again, it's really easy to see in the life of Abraham or Sarah or Hagar. Not so easy to see in our own lives. But I'm curious if someone were watching your life and your story from the outside, if someone were reading the narrative of your life story, what patterns would they see in you? What would they be observing right now when you're like, oh yeah, there's that thing again. Oh yeah, we've seen this happen a few times and every time, like yeah, that's what they do when that happens. What patterns are there for you? Is there a pattern of insecurity? Is there a pattern of fearful lying? Is there a pattern of conflict avoidance? Is there a pattern of people pleasing? Is there a pattern of numbing out and just tuning out to deal with the pain of life? Is there a pattern of chasing unhealthy relationships to deal with the identity that you're wrestling with inside? Is there a pattern of lashing out and pushing people away? Friends, my friends, God in his love will not give up pursuing you and pursuing the broken places of your life and story. And you can try to ignore it and try some other scheme, but he's just going to keep bringing you back to this place. 
And the more we try just to ignore it and sweep it under the rug, the more it won't go away. Do you see God's attempt to redeem those parts of our lives and story? But here's my sense, because this is my own life and story, is that most of us are unaware of these patterns. I'm blind to these. I need friends, loved ones, scripture, and God to point them out to me. God always deals in truth. It's the language he speaks. He speaks truth. And he deals in specificity, not in abstraction. He deals with the truthful specifics of your life. The specifics of who he is, the specifics of who you are. And awareness is a requirement for your freedom. He's bringing these things up that you may see them, be aware of them, and let him deal with them by his grace. God is faithful. Man, he's faithful. I would have given up on Abraham a long time ago. She is my sister again? I would have given up on Sarah a long time ago. Why do you keep kicking her out? So what's the pattern? What's the theme? What's your she is my sister theme? Might you ask the Holy Spirit today to make you aware of it? Might you be able to name it to yourself and others? And may you, even this morning, invite God to bring you into greater freedom in that place. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Confession just means to speak the truth, to say the same thing to God that he already knows is true. And he wants to meet us in those repetitions again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these stories. We thank you for these people. That for thousands of years you have been engaging in the lives of those that have gone before us. And even here this morning, you are, you are doing a work in our midst. Among some who maybe this is their first time ever being in a church and hearing about the Bible or hearing about your great grace. Or maybe those that have been around for a very, very long time that it's easy for these stories to become old hat and our hearts to grow hard. So Lord, wherever we are on this journey of repetition, God, I pray you would be speaking to us, pointing out the places of brokenness and pointing us toward a better, a better way with the hope of Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, our great High Priest who paid through his body and blood that we may be free and healed. So I pray, Lord, for a yes of faith today as you bring these things to mind, as you show us the patterns in our story, may there be a yes of faith to you to entrust that part to you again and again and again. So we love you, Lord. We desire to love you more. We want to entrust these really tender parts of our lives to you. And we ask that you would bring healing and wholeness and grace and freedom to be all that you intend us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.